Hey guys, guess what? It's the first episode of the new series. <laughs> so, is everybody excited to be back? Yes. I am indeed. How long has it been? Um, God, I think we. I think I put the last one up in. It was before we moved, so it must be May. Oh my God, has it been that long? Has it been that long? Jeez. It might have been April. Yeah. I thought, I thought it went into the summer. It's a fair amount of time, like, isn't it? it has, yeah. 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 It's been like half a year almost. Yeah, pretty mm, much. Yeah, crazy. Oof. If you told me now that this is like May today, I would believe you because everything's yeah. just been quite like. Ugh. It was March last week. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I saw something the other day online, and it was like, um, it was Christmas, Valentine's Day, lockdown, Halloween. Yeah. And I was like, that's just the year. That is just absolutely this year. You know, the only proof that I'm not crazy, and this is indeed like October, is my waistline. I couldn't possibly do that within two weeks, I'd say. So that keeps me sane. That keeps me going. Oh my god. Um, so, before we go any further, um, I should announce that we've made a few changes to the format, which we hope everyone will like. So we're still going to have our historical fact of the day, we're still going to have our quiz, but we're changing the middle bit. So, here goes. Each week, three of us, who the working title being the know-it-alls, um, will expand and prepare our knowledge of the subject in hand. One of us, the know-it-none, won't, however, and will ask us questions around the wisdom we may or most likely not, in my case, impart. Um, we'll talk about our likes, our experiences, our dislikes and everything in between. So if with that in mind, shall we begin? This isn't just any podcast. This is Historical Inaccuracies, a history podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Isn't it just that? You get a semi. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to point out that we're, like, we're genuinely about five seconds into the podcast and Cam's already made serious jokes. Sorry. So, for those of you who don't know, we are four friends, two Scots, a Greek and an Englishwoman, who love to chat shit and talk history. We have Kelly. Hello. Cam. Hello. Maria. Hi there. And me, Becky. And uh, you may well hear some uh, laughter in the background, and that is in fact my husband, who is peering into the kitchen and laughing his head off at Cameron. <laughs> Love you, Jack. Love you too, Cam. See, there's a bit of a bromance going on here, guys. <laughs> so, now, I should say that we are no way experts, hence the name. It is very, very likely that, at least on my part, at some point I will talk a crock of shit. So, every week we choose a topic and have a chat about it, and this week to open the new series, it's London, London, London Bridge, you're coming down. I do not know why I've done that. I honestly thought you were going to go like the Lily Allen route, but no, you completely subverted <laughs> my expectations. <laughs> Just a bit of Fergie, you know? Absolutely. Home of Buckingham Palace, £9 pints and a myriad of hipsters, London is the capital city of our tiny island, and perhaps the most well-known city in the world, not that I'm at all biased. Now, the pedantic amongst you will say that the city of London proper is only about 1.12 square miles and that it's a city within a city. And although you are technically correct, the idea of London is something that is much bigger and much more diverse. And with that in mind, we will be talking about the metropolis of London. Today, our know-it-alls are Kelly, Cam and myself. And the know-it-none is Maria. Kelly, Cam, are you ready to impart your wisdom? I am ready to impart all my wisdom. Do you have I any? Lie. No, fuck no. <laughs> 
Maria, are you ready to learn? Always. Oh, no, you talk about me being sultry, but wow. <laughs> Cam suddenly, suddenly stood to attention. But so, Scottish people are <laughs> incapable of being sultry, so Cam and I cannot contribute <laughs> to this <laughs> sultriness that you guys have yeah. going on. I can just say right now, care what I mean, darling. You <laughs> <laughs> sound just like a sex offender, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, to start with our historical event of the day, it's actually historical events of the day, because the 4th of October, which is the very sort of rainy day that we are recording on, is a brilliant day historically. In 1535, the first English Bible is printed by Miles Coverdale, who had to flee to the safety of Belgium because the very idea had pissed off so many people. In 1777, General Washington's troops were routed at the Battle of Germantown by the British and our allies, among the Redcoats. In 1824, Mexico becomes a republic. In 1864, the New Orleans Tribune, which was America's first black daily newspaper, was founded. And in 1966, Lesotho gains independence from Britain. Now, on to the main event. So, Maria, yes. what do you know about London? Right. I, well, it is, well, London. Uh, to me, it's the greatest place to be in the world. Is the reason I moved to the UK, despite living in Edinburgh, I couldn't afford London. It's a place where theatre like happens, um, it's like culture, civilization, history, all like mingled together, and you've got an amalgamation of old and new, which you can you can witness in in, the, in, in I don't know like the shape of the city with the River Thames, you know, splitting it in half, the architecture of the buildings. You know, you've got the old Tate, the new Tate, you've got the National Theatre on the South Bank, you've got like London Bridge, you've got St. Paul's Cathedral. It's like every, every, every metre, like you walk and it's just history. You could have like a tour guide and be with your headphones all day and have like, you know, every single bit of the city has a history to say, like what the Shakespeare's Globe, everything about London is perfect to me. And I'm, I'm being very biased here, but uh, bits and pieces. Um, but I would I would prefer it if you were to educate me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> in response to that, we have developed a potted history of London. So I've challenged Cam, Kelly and myself to one minute each. So feel free to time us, Maria. So <clears throat> we're going to start with Cam and then it will be me and then it will be Kelly. So, Cam, are you ready? I am ready. I'll take the lead. Let's go. Kelly, are you ready? I am ready. Let's go. Okay, three, two, one, go. Oh, in 1847, London, London Amos established by the Romans in the point of the river where it was narrow enough to build a bridge with easy access to much of Europe. This is quite common in, in quite a few Roman settlements, including Rome itself, and it was roughly the size of Hyde Park. Sorry, in AD 60, London is destroyed by Queen Boudicca's rebels. In AD 59, a year before this, it's quite interesting actually, there was a Roman soldier by the name of Marcus Antonius Flexus. Um, who said a very famous quote, which was, I can't believe these gingered bastard Celts, they have the audacity to charge 10 denarii for a pint of beer, these fucking bastards. <laughs> so anyway, moving on to AD 60. London destroyed by Queen Boudicca's rebels. The Romans tried to steal half of Boudicca's late husband's kingdom and she refused to agree. The Romans flogged her, raped her, raped, oh, sorry, raped her two daughters and enslaved their nobles and kinsmen. In retaliation, Boudicca then led a revolt against Roman rule, uh, which uh, essentially fell on its arse. By AD 71, the Roman has been rebuilt and continued to grow over the next few decades, eventually replacing Colchester, or I think it's called Cameroon, I think that's how it's pronounced, as the Roman capital in the 2nd century day with a population of 60,000 people. It boasted major public buildings, including the largest basilica north of the Alps. 
fuck knows why. Temples, bathhouses, an amphitheater, and a large fort for the city garrison. Poor fuckers. Political instability from the section from the third century onwards led to a slow decline. At some time between AD 180 and AD 225, the Romans built the defensive London wall around the land side of the landward side of the city. The wall was about three kilometers, 1.9 miles long, six meters, 20 foot high, and 2.5 meters, that's 8.2 feet thick. The wall would survive for another 1,600 years and define the city of London's perimeters for centuries to come. The perimeters of the present city proper are roughly defined by the line of the ancient wall. In the late third century, London was raided on several occasions by Saxon pirates, the bastards. This led from around 200, 255 onwards to the construction of an additional riverside wall. Six of the traditional seven gates of London are of Roman origin, namely Ludgate, Newgate, Oldsgate, Cripplegate, Bishopsgate and Oldgate. Moorgate is the exception being of medieval origin. By the 5th century, Roman Empire was in rapid decline, and in AD 410, the Roman occupation of Britannia came to an end. Hooray, fuck off! Following this, the Roman city also went into rapid decline, and by the end of the 5th century, it was practically abandoned. 5th century, up to 12,000 Anglo-Saxons have settled in Lundenwick. I think that's how you say it. By the 7th century, London, the... So the London area, sorry, excuse me, was a part of the East Saxon area, later known as Essex. Oh, what, mate? The king of Essex, Ethelbert, who was, uh, I believe, a, a tanned fucking meathead, gave Miletus, um, who I have no idea who the fuck that is, permission to found the first St. Paul's Cathedral. Way! Traditionally said to be on the site of the old Roman Temple of Diana, uh, although Christopher Wren, fuck off Christopher Wren, had no evidence of this. It would have only been a modest church at first, and may have been destroyed after it was expelled from the city by Sabers pagan successors. 9th century saw Vikings becoming increasingly common from around 830 honours, but London was sacked in 842 and again in 851. Woo, on the Vikings. The Danish great heathen army, um, which rampaged across England since 865, wintered in London in 871. This is quite interesting, actually, because if anyone's ever been to Copenhagen, they'll know that it's just as expensive for a fucking pint in Copenhagen as it is in fucking London. So, (laughs) no difference to those fuckers. The city remained in Danish hands until 886 and was captured by the forces of King Alfred the Great of Wessex and reincorporated into Mercy. Then governed under Alfred's sovereignty by his son-in-law, Elderman Ehrvid. Around this time, the folks of settlement, well, fuck me, moved within the whole Roman world for the sake of defence, and the city became known as Londonborough. The Roman walls were repaired, and the sense of ditch recut, or well, the bridge was probably rebuilt at this time. A second fortified borough was established on the south bank at Southwark, the Sussringa Gerrock defensive work of the men of Surrey. The old settlement of Ludwig uh, oh, became known as Eldwick, or Old Settlement, a name which survives today as Oldwich. From this point, the state of London began to develop its own unique local government. Following Ethelfred's death in 911, I think that's how you say his name, it was transferred to Wessex, preceding the absorption of the rest of Mercia in 918. Although it faced competition from political preeminence in the United Kingdom of England, in the United Kingdom, sorry, excuse me, of England's nutritional West Sussex, West Saxon centre of Winchester, London's size and commercial wealth brought it a steadily increase in importance as a focus of government activity. Uh, King Aethelstein held many meetings of the, the Witten in London and issued laws from there, while King Aethelstein, the Unready, um, issued the laws of London there in 978. Interesting fact about King Aethelstein, the Unready, um, apparently the reason why he was called the Unready was because uh, when he, him and his wife used to kind of go to bed, she was starting to take his clothes off and he still had his pants on. In 1994, London was unsuccessfully attacked by an army under King Sven Beard of Denmark. As England, as English resistance sustained and escalating Danish onslaught, fucking Danes finally collapsed in 1013. London repulsed an attack by the Danes and was the last place to hold out while the rest of the country submitted to Sven. Ha But by the end of the year, it too capitulated and Aethelfred fed aboard. Sven died just five weeks after having been proclaimed king. 
poor bastard. And Aethel Fred was restored to the throne, but Sven's son, um, cunt, returned <laughs> to the attack in 1015. What a king cunt he was. After Aethelfred's death at London in 1016, his son Edmund Ironside was proclaimed king there by the Wittenringment and left to gather forces in Wessex. That's why you say Wittenringment, I don't know how to say it. London was then subject to a systematic siege by King Cunt again, but was relieved by King Edmund's army. When Edmund again left to recruit reinforcements in Wessex, the Danes, yeah, yeah, resumed the siege, but were again unsuccessful. However, following his defeat at the Battle of Ass and done. Jesus Christ, I mean, you English have got a lot of swearing, eh? Cunt, ass, all this kind of stuff. Edmund succeeded cunt, <laughs> Edmund succeeded to cunt all of England north of the Thames, including London, and his death a few weeks later left cunt in control of the whole country. And just to kind of confirm his name, not actually cunt, it's commute, but I prefer the word cunt. Do you know, someone said that to me previous as well. Why but, are the English so obsessed with like. Yeah. dodgy names and that's because we're so sexually repressed that's yeah i think oh so yeah, it explains a lot it, yeah. it's the legacy of the victorians you know when you couldn't mm. even show your ankle because it would just set pulses <laughs> alight so <clears throat> moving on 1042 edward the confessor moves his court out of london and up to westminster and this removes the national seat of power from the city and begins this age-old struggle of power between london and westminster 1066, I think we all know this one. William the Conqueror wins the Battle of Hastings and makes French the language of the courts, which further separates the courts and royalty and the seat of power from the English-speaking commoners. By 1078, the Tower of London is beginning. The White Tower construction begins. 1176, London Bridge is built. 1298, Edward I brings the Stone of Schoon to London. Edward I, hey, hey, hey. I keep calling I'll it Stone of Schoon. <laughs> if anybody knows, if anyone reads Terry Pratchett, then they'll know all about the Stone of Scone. 1305, William Wallace was hung, drawn, and quartered because he was. Oh, Willie lives in our hearts. <laughs> my Willie lives in my pants. <laughs> oof, oof. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to shop now. Our, our neighbours, by the way, are going to be looking out the window thinking, oh, what's yeah. going on there? By 1348, the population had hit 50,000 people, or so they thought, because that same year the plague hits. 1381, the Peasants' Revolt. 1588, Shakespeare arrives on the scene. By 1600, the population reached 200,000, and it's argued by quite a few historians that the reason for that is not that the Tudor reign was quite peaceful, because obviously when we talk about the religious aspects, it wasn't, but it was a period of massive growth economically, politically, and this made London in particular a great place to be. 1605, as we've already touched on in a previous podcast, Guy Fawkes attempts to blow up King James VI and the Houses of Parliament. By 1642, it was Charlie versus Parley. The civil wars begin. 1649, Charlie loses his head and and England becomes a republic. And Scotland and Ireland becomes a republic for the first and only time in our history thus far. Uh, 1660, Charlie II comes back to the throne because they've had enough of the Puritan ways and want to have makeup and parties and play football and stuff again. 1665, the plague hits London, 70,000 people are killed. 1666, whilst London is still reeling from the effects of the plague, the Great Fire of London destroys 13.2 thousand houses and St Paul's Cathedral. By 1700, the population sort of regained itself and had hit 70, and had hit 700,000. 1742, the Bow Street Runners, who were the, the kind of first police force of their day. 1768 was the massacre of St George's Fields. 
1780 was the Gordon riots. 1801, the population reached 950,000. 1810, and this is my favourite fact out of anything I'm going to hear today, the first Indian restaurant opened in London. That's so cute. 1820, the Cato Street Conspiracy. 1829, the Peelers. Fucking Peelers. The actual (laughs) Police Force. And 1837, Victoria ascended the throne. Kelly, take it away. Well, that kind of stole my first point, which was 1837, Queen Victoria's crown kicking off the, the Victorian era. 1842, the Fleet and Marshall uh, debtors prisons, which were made pr- famous by Charles Dickens, uh, closed their doors. 1851, the Great Exhibition opens up in the Crystal Palace in Hyde Park. Uh, this was uh, Prince Albert's brainchild and it is on from May to the October of that year. And fun fact, the following people attended, uh, Charles Darwin, Carol Mark, Samuel Colt, Charlotte Bronte, Charles Dickens, Lewis Carroll, George Eliot, Alfred Lord Tennyson and William Makepeace Thackeray. I love how you say Carol (laughs) instead of Carl. It just it makes me laugh so much. It's it's the Scottish curse. That's how I can't physically cannot pronounce that word (laughs) any other way. 1852, Great Ormond Street Hospital opens as the first children's hospital in England. 1854, a cholera epidemic kills 10,000 people in London and it is traced to a single water pump. 1858 is the Great Stink from July to August, um, which is basically when hot weather exacerbates the stench of human waste and sewage, which has been lying on the banks of the River Thames, which is lovely. Basically, the city was honking for the two months. Uh, 1859, Big Ben chimes its bells for the first time. 1863, the first section of the London Underground opens to the public. 1868, the last public canon hanging in Great Britain is carried out at Newgate Prison um, and it was Michael Barrett who was hanged for his part in the Clerkenwell explosion, which was carried out the previous year by the Irish Republican Brotherhood, also known as the Fenians. 1878, the Princess Alice disaster on the Thames kills 400, 640 people. Um, this is basically a, pad, a passenger uh, paddle steamer when, which collided with the Bywell Castle Collier. The University of London becomes the first university in Britain to admit women for degrees and electric lighting is introduced on the Thames Embankment. 1887 is Bloody Sunday, which takes place in the November of that year when martyrs protesting in Trafalgar Square about unemployment and coercion in Ireland are violently broken up by the police. It is the Autumn of Terror, um, a serial killer dubbed Jack the Ripper, brutally murders at least five women in the East End District of Whitechapel. Uh, this is a murder case which is sensationalised by the press. And essentially from August to November, the entire East End of London is just living in fear. 1889 is the Cleveland Street scandal, implicates several aristocrats after police raid a male brothel in the city. 1895 is the Wilde versus Queensbury trial. Um, It begins at the Old Bailey. And Oscar Wilde, the writer, is convicted after retrial of gross indecency due to his relationship with uh, Dougie uh, and sentenced to two years hard labour at Pentonville Prison. 1897 is Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee, um, so the city is full of celebration and there's proces- processions through London to St Paul's, um, hundreds of thousands of people turn out and at dinner that night Victoria sits next to Archduke Franz Ferdinand who as we all know or some of us who are history buffs will know he is one of the main causes um, of World War One when he is assassinated in 1914. 1901 Vicky dies in the Isle of Wight. Isle of Wight? <laughs> Isle of Wight after being queen for 63 years and at that point in time she was the longest reigning monarch in the British Isles obviously has since been surpassed by Beglas and that brings to a close the Victorian era. Well done everybody, round of applause for yourselves. Well done guys, well done.
I don't know if that was a minute, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think I think we can safely say that none of us kept to a minute, but that's okay, that's so, fine, because we had we, we'll get better. Six minutes for Canberra and four minutes for Becky and four minutes for Kelly. Well done. Sorry. That was really good. I'm okay. a bit out of breath. I'll catch my breath. So um I I don't know if it's an interesting fact or not, but I can see Osborne House from my my hometown. You look across the water and you can see it in amongst the trees. It's really beautiful. Oh, so you basically were able to look at where where Queen Victoria died, essentially, your whole childhood, a big chunk of your childhood. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and also the uh, the Isle of Wight Festival as well. You can hear it from my mum and dad's house. So, yeah, it's uh, heard uh, the prodigy when they were still the, you know, and they were still alive doing a smack my bitch up in the garden in my dressing gown with a cup of tea. It was a distinctly middle class. Was there any scuba instructors? scuba instructors no for anyone that's not seen um fisherman's friends the amazing um real life true tale story of the the uh, fisherman's friends cornish uh men's singing group you need to see it because it's just excellent and james purefoy is just oh, yes i tell you oh lovely <laughs> maria thoughts like okay first of all I think we've touched upon so many things of those in previous podcasts I'm really proud of that and uh, previous episodes and um there's so many things that we can further like explore in other episodes like um you mentioned the Roman Gates Cameron yes I had no clue that all these names today were coming from like all the way back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I was like qu- crazy then um Becky, you said about the white hair. I never thought that this would be like the top, like you never like put it in the context of that time where that that would have been the tallest thing we've ever seen. Yeah, it would have been. I mean, can you, it would be like, um, so uh, let's say you live in a village and the the tallest thing nowadays that we can really say that you might see is, for example, the church, the local church. Yeah. And then all of a sudden someone comes in and builds something that's as high as Edinburgh Castle. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. They must have been absolutely terrified. There's this this invading, this alien force that have come in and have the technology and the know-how to build these incredible structures. They probably wouldn't have seen anything like it in their lives. They must have been absolutely terrified. But it was a really effective way of um, subjugating the population because, you know, across the whole of, of, of England, um, there were there were castles built. It was really must have been terrifying for everyone. And to think about the story and all the stories that are associated with the, you know, the Tower of London, it gets even more spooky. And it's just like, wow. Um, have, have you actually been? Has anyone been in the Tower of yeah. London? Oh, yes. God, yeah. I was gutted when I went because the torture tower was closed. Oh, it was I was like on the site of where many of my ancestors were probably brutally killed, and yeah, I was like, "Where's my torture tower?" So yeah, it was a bit of a disappointment that way. But I seen the ravens. Um, oh, we still talk about it. Like we still talk about it at home. Like it, it's something that we all know. Seriously, yeah, genuinely. For those of you who don't know, there is a, a legend that says that um, if the ravens ever leave the Tower of London, then the kingdom of, I don't know if it's the kingdom of England or the kingdom or the United Kingdom, actually, now that I think about it. But anyway, 
if the um if the ravens leave the tower then the kingdom will fall and um yeah we're all we're all shitted really so kelly when are we gonna get our guns and go down and shoot them ravens i mean <laughs> I, i'm happy i don't get where you are <laughs> you forget mate i know where you live Ah, the fucking They'll turn up and then like the ghosts be like William Wallace, so, like the same thing. Like descendants avenge me. Um, uh, like have you have you seen uh, the one thing that I struggled the most was seeing Henry VIII's armor. Yes. Did you he see the codpiece on massive. that? He was massive. And the horse. I mean, he was a massive guy. Like uh, all the all the things that they keep saying. Like if you read books and like stories of the time where he uh, at the end of his life he was it was this massive man that was full of sickness, and it was just like ooh, he's okay, disgusting stuff. But like all the sores in his body were oozing pus and disgusting. But at the same time, he was massive and the horse, poor horse. But it was impressive at the same time to see it. But do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I just couldn't take my eyes off the codpiece, I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, yeah, the, that, is, that would not have reflected real life. <laughs> no, well, this is the thing it might have done, because not necessarily the um, the meat, but the two veg might have been a bit swollen because he couldn't oh. move. Oh, oh disgusting. So it needed, it needed it to, did, it, it, to fit in the veg. But, yeah, pretty much. That was quite bad. But, like... The power of London, and you've got, you, Becky, you mentioned the plague, and then you mentioned the Great Fire, and like all those losses. Like you said, yeah. 13.2,000 houses were lost, and then about 17,000 people died in the plague. Yeah. That was not that was not a good couple of years for London at all. But do you know something? It was quite interesting because I think Becky and I talked a wee while about about how sometimes you can get things that actually do some form of good. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that think that the great fire in london might have stopped like they've spread of the plague or at least kind of like reduced it because basically or stopped them from spreading because it burnt all of the old sort of wooden soggy houses that yeah. were there so yeah they think that even though obviously the great fire was like terrible they think it did have a hand in stopping the, the plague from spreading and lasting longer essentially any tips for today well, we, unless we, we go around setting all our towns on fire. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's quite Stay funny. in your house or I will set fire to it with you in it. Becky, can you take a, to tell us a bit more about the Indian restaurant? <gasps> yes, I can. This is absolutely, well, it's, 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 it's a good thing and a bad thing, I think. So um, it was called the Hindustan Coffee House. And it was opened by, I'm not, I'm really sorry, anyone that's listening to this, if I completely mess this up, but um, is it Saki or Sheikh Dean Muhammad, Mohammed, who was a former captain in the East India Company. Um, and he opened it up. He had these these great ideas, but <clears throat> it closed a year later because of lack of business. So oh. despite despite our nation's well-documented love of curry, we just weren't ready for it at the time. Going back to Marcus Antonius. Italian foot in my mind. Was he the same Marcus Antonius that was dating Cleopatra? He's like Mar- Marcus Antonius Plexus. Is that is that the? Um, no, 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 no. I was okay. taking the piss. Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, were you taking the piss? Yeah. Yeah, it was what, a joke. Man? It was a joke. Yeah. I didn't get it. It was a joke. <laughs> In London, do you not get that? Everyone, people when they go to London, they go, "Oh my God, I can't believe it's like ten pounds a pint down here." Mark up home, you get it for like three fifty. Right. Nah. But Pass okay, it, not, well, not oh my God. No, so, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's like that. But have any of you seen Jurassic World? 
Yes. The bit with the dinosaur like attacks the town and you just see the guy like picking up his two drinks and running away. Yeah. Like, that's it. It's the same sentiment behind it. I'm such a knob. I didn't get it. No, you're not. It's okay. Yes, I am. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. Scratch that, please. Um. Then I wanted to go back. Right, Kelly. You mentioned this like amazing dinner. Right, Karl Marx, Bronte sisters, Lewis Carroll, Alfred Lott Tennyson. Like, wh- what? Oh, it was it was the great exhibition. So it was basically, like, like uh, like Prince Albert essentially organised this big exhibition, sort of like a kind of. How would you describe the great exhibition? So like it's not a gala. Yeah, sort of like a not. A, would it be a? So it was really basically. A, uh, a celebration of everything. So they had science, they had technology, they had history, they had English, like literature. Yeah, had, I don't like, know what they call it. Like a um, gala, maybe. Like a really, really, really fancy gala. Like yeah. all of the important things. The, 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 the idea of it was to showcase everything that was good and exciting about about yeah. Britain, about the UK. Perfect. Can you? Would you mind repeating the attendees there? Oh yeah. So. Because that this is so bear in mind that it was only actually on from the May to the October, mm-hmm. and during that time, Charles Darwin, Carol Marx, Samuel Colt, Charlotte Bronte, Charles Dickens, Lewis Carroll, George Eliot, Alfred Lloyd. Lord, why do I keep saying Lloyd? Lord Tennyson, <laughs> Lord, Lord Tennyson. William Makepeace Thackeray were all known to have attended. This is like the, the biggest minds of the time all together in the one yeah. exhibition. That is just crazy. Like, it's mental when you think that they would have all seen the same things, even though you think of them as totally separate. And yeah. But they were and all that, like that same exhibition. And they all live at the same time. It kind of puts things into perspective that these coexisted, these guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Karl, I mean, Karl Marx, like, oh, hello, yes. People in a room, John. But yeah. Um, um, can I just go back to one thing? Um, Dougie. Who's Dougie? You said Oscar Wilde got. Um, sentence for having it off with Dougie. Who's Dougie? Dougie is Lord Alfred Douglas, who was the son, I believe, of the Lord Queensbury, um, who Oscar Wilde had a um, an amorous affair with, um, mm-hmm. which obviously, as we know back then, um, sort of two men being having a sexual relationship was very much um, not accepted in Victorian society and was actually punishable, as we know, because um, Oscar Wilde was later convicted. But he had, he had actually sued the um, sued Queensbury for libel um, because uh, Queensbury had left a calling card at a sort of gentleman's club in London, which essentially called him a sodomite, which basically <laughs> like kind of outed him to all of London society, um, which obviously Oscar Wilde then sued him for libel and then... Um, I can't I can't think remember off the top of my head what happened at the first trial, but after the retrial, it was actually Oscar Wilde was found guilty of uh, gross misconduct or gross indecency, one of the two in quotes, as it was known then. Um, and then that's how he was sentenced to two years of hard labour. And pretty much to think that those two years of hard labour was he never recovered. Um, it's sort of like kind of he, he sort of it was I can't, I can't really remember how many years after that. He died, but yeah, he was never the same after they had been convicted and had to do those two years, which is devastating and obviously really horrible. But um, but yeah, at the time it was like it was one of the sort of like a huge celebrity trial at the time because obviously everyone knew who Oscar Wilde was and it was such a big scandalous thing to be accused of um, in Victorian society. But Dougie, because he was essentially he did not. I think from from a lot of accounts, like 
I think Oscar Wilde was sort of or besotted or like loved Dougie, whether he loved him or if it was just sort of like an infatuation, I don't know. But he was essentially not a nice person and he, and he had nothing, like even though he was equally um they obviously you know it takes two to tango he pretty much kind of sold Oscar Wilde in the river and kind of was able to sort of live the rest of his life type thing so yeah not a very nice man no, <laughs> so that's why I deliberately call him Dougie just because I know that because he was like a lord if he was alive now that would probably piss him off so I just call him Dougie you mentioned 1888 the autumn of terror yeah uh, now I, I'm like I know so I probably know too much about that so basically for anyone who doesn't know, um, Jack the Ripper was a name given by the press to an unidentified uh, serial killer. He's never been, um, his identity has never been discovered, who killed at least five women in Whitechapel in 1888. Um, Whitechapel at that time, it's important to sort of remember, was um, very much a slum district and it was where the sort of poorest um, people of sort of London society lived. So prior to that point, um, no one really took any notice of the poor and the sort of conditions that they were living in. But that was one thing that the sort of sensation, sensationalisation, if that's even a word, I don't think it is. Um, but the sort of the media frenzy around this case, if if there was anything that this one of the sort of main kind of things that came out of it society wise was that it sort of drew outside attention to the conditions of London's poor um, for the very first time and in a way that it had never really been explored before because they were so shocked by by the acts that were committed there. So basically, Whitechapel at that time was absolutely not a stranger to violence and murder. Like it was something that happened quite a lot. But what kind of sets the Jack the Ripper killings apart was the sort of methodical nature of it, the the sort of mopus operandi, if you like, of the killer, which was um, sort of connected all the women together. So um, there's generally, the reason I say at least five women is because um, there is debate between historians and so-called ripperologists, uh, air quotes, um, that, as to whether it killed more than five women. There's sort of been there was a series of um, cases during that time and for a couple of years before and after 1888 where there were women that were being killed in sort of similarly brutal ways, but they weren't it, they, even though they didn't fit the exact pattern, they think it may have been sort of variations of the same person, but they're not sure. So. Um, the so-called canonical five are the five um, people, the five women that they generally agree were killed by the same person who they have since dubbed Jack the Ripper. Um, so their names were Polly Nichols, uh, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes and Mary Jane Kelly. Um, Polly Nichols was from Fleet Street in London. Annie Chapman was from Knightsbridge in London, which is actually quite a well-to-do place <laughs> compared to, certainly compared to Whitechapel. Um, it's from the sort of other side of London. If you like, um, Elizabeth Stride was originally from Sweden um, and Catherine Eddowes was from Wolverhampton um, and Mary Jane Kelly, Kelly, they believe, was from Wales, but they're not 100% sure because she's a bit of a sort of enigma in and of herself. They don't really know too much about her life. Um, so essentially, the reason that people were so kind of terrified and fascinated by these murders was, um, without going into too much detail of obviously the brutality of the killings but it really sort of shocked Victorian society because um, all of the women all of the women had their throats cut in the same way um, and without again without going into too, too much detail four of them were subject to increasing degrees of like bodily mutilation that were that were very much similar to each other and that's why it 
they believe that it was the work of the the same person um, and also why uh, they dubbed the killer Jack the Ripper because it involved sort of um, various degrees of um, evisceration. Um, one thing as well like that I would really recommend, so I read a really good book recently um, called The Five and if if I have one sort of like plea um, to you Maria and to anybody who's listening is just to give that book a read. Um, it's definitely changed my entire perspective over the whole case. Um, it essentially tells the story of each of the five women individually, tells the story of their life, um, sort of quite rightly puts the focus back on a, them rather than their killer because something that has sort of happened in the sort of misogyny of the the ripper myth if you like as it's developed over the years has been this sort of obsession with the person that killed them um so much so that the sort of human aspect and the loss of like the fact that this was a killer of women who clearly hated women because they killed them in such a brutal fashion um and that's been sort of lost over the years because they've sort of mythologized them to such a degree that they, you know, that gets lost. Um, so this book really quite rightly gives the victims their sort of voices back in a way. And it sort of lets you, um, it deliberately doesn't cover their deaths, but it, it sort of goes through all of their lives. And each of their lives genuinely was such a tragedy. They were, um, each of them were alone when they were killed. They had lost their families through varying, various circumstances like alcoholism and um, and just various levels of just terrible ramifications of Victorian society at that time and what it meant to be a woman at that point um, that sort of led them to be sort of on the streets, if you like, and 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 generally. There's a really good um, line in the book that really sums it up that essentially says that the mur- their murderer just took what was left of them, um, and that was really poignant. I remember reading that and just sort of getting teary because it... it it sort of speaks everything that you really need to know about what those killings meant at that time. It wasn't just, yeah, it was, it was, a, it spoke more about what it meant to be, what their lives were and what it meant to be a woman at that time, um, as well as the sort of awfulness of their deaths. Um, but yeah, I would definitely, definitely recommend giving that a read. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, it is a very popular case. I think you'd be hard sort of pushed to find anyone that hasn't heard of it before. It was the very first sort of, um, prolific kind of serial killer case and I think the reason why it's still talked about today is because the person was never caught so they never ever caught who it was that that killed the woman um, and I say I deliberately say women because there's so again part of the misogyny of the ripper myth is that you will see them often referred to as prostitutes which not only sort of takes away the humanity of them by sort of like just reducing them to like what they did but mm-hmm. also there is actually no historical evidence that that there is only there is no historical evidence that three of the five women were prostitutes. There's only two, only two of them um, that is evidence for to suggest that they were involved in sex works. None of the other three women, there is absolutely no evidence to suggest that they ever were prostitutes. But that's just something that's just, again, part of the myth that's been carried on because it's so much easier for people to just call them prostitutes as if they don't matter um, and to sort of big up this image of Jack the Ripper is someone who is, you know, and it's so idealised. He's always a mystery. He's a myth. Like he's an enigma. And realistically, he was a man that murdered women. Um, mm-hmm. I got really, <laughs> I get so passionate talking about it now. But yeah, so well, that is to. that is sort of like without rambling on too long. That is kind of like a, a summing up of of Jack the Ripper case. Especially, I think because if you'd spoken to me about it like this time last year, I would probably would have given you a much less emo- not less emotional, but it would have been a more the details of the case itself and all of the investigations and what was going on. But I think since 
definitely since reading that book, for me, it's been all about the women that and how and rather than Jack the Ripper. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Kelly, for this segment. I was not familiar so much with the story of Jack the Ripper, so that was quite quite enlightening. Um, so the other thing I picked up on, um, okay, I'm completely close here. What are the Gordon riots? <gasps> okay, so this is actually very interesting, and I'm very interested to see the, the, the Catholic thoughts on this. So the Gordon riots were basically several days of anti-Catholic rioting. So they began with protests against the Papist Act of 1778, which effectively reduced official discrimination against British Catholics. And the idea being that one of the big things that it would have allowed would be, would be for Catholics to join the British Army. And a lot of people felt that this was um, inappropriate because obviously there was still a lot of distrust against Catholics and people thought that they would join the British Army and then they would go out of their way to kind of cause disharmony within the units and, and to plot against things. Um, so the initial protests led to widespread rioting and looting, um, not just in London. Uh, and eventually the, the government set, sent in the army and they ended up firing on the protesters. And it's thought that up to 700 people were killed at these anti-Catholic wow. riots. Yeah. And why the name Gordon? Do we know? I have no idea, actually. I probably I, should have looked that up. Yeah, it was Lord George Gordon, who was the head of the Protestant Association. And he was <gasps> the one that argued. OK. He argued, yeah, he argued that the law would enable Catholics to join the British Army and plot treason. Yeah, see? And the beating of that bank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking, I'm only joking. Thank you. Sorry, I'm really sorry. Should I, should see, I be worried about talking, being outside my house right now? No, no, it's okay. It's talking okay. about talking okay. about like uh, Dorkin, who was King? Can you get, give us a bit more about King Cunt again? King Canute. King Canute. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I can't believe you. You just you just swore. I can't believe that. I'm honestly. sorry. Honestly, I'm, sorry, I'm telling right. you. I'm sorry. Canute. Um, okay. Canute. Canute. Do you want to hear Canute. this? Canute. I'll let you take this one. Okay, so King Canute is not necessarily very well known in terms of English folklore, but we do have one tale that we know about him, uh, that most kids know about him, and that is when um, he wanted to teach his... So he had, he was surrounded by yes-men. Yes, my liege, your yeah. wife. Yeah. Yes, my liege, the sun shines out <laughs> of your arse. Uh, please let me kiss your feet, my lord, kind of thing, right? And he had kind of had enough of this. He was... The, the the legend says that he was a very wise man. So what he did is he made his um, he took his there's different aspects of it, um, different stories, but he took his um, yes men to the sea, and um, and he effectively said, you know, here behold um, the sea, and I will tell it to do something. Um, do you think it, that the sea will do it? And uh, and they all said, yes, my lord, the, the sea will absolutely do what you tell it to do. And he's there going, fuck's sake, lads, come on, I'm not that fucking powerful. Like, let's be serious here. So um, he um, so he, he then stood in the sea and demarked and it moved away and that or that, you know, depending on who you listen to, that that he whipped it with chains or, or whatever. Um, but I do think that the story kind of gets crossed with the Emperor Nero, but neither here nor there. Um, anyway, so um, and of course it didn't happen. And, and he basically, you know, and uh, all of the, his yes men were kind of looking at him as if to go, oh, shit, how's he going to react to this? Oh, shit. Oh, God. We said, oh, wow. Yeah. So, but effectively what happened was that he turned around and said, right, lads, this is an abject lesson in how I am not God. So let's cut out all of the, the 
yeses and just be honest with me. You know, I'm trying to teach you a lesson here in humility. I'm not the great God. In, as in very forward thinking of him. Well done for having well, done that. That that's the story. That's the story that that we're kind of told. I don't know whether or not it's true. I have no idea. But it's it's a it's the, the story that kind of so many people, if not everybody, is taught when they're younger. As as a I lesson. Think, in. Wow. Again, I love the idea. Maybe we should like devote an episode on like traditional stuff, like like urban legends from the past. But like you know, like you mentioned this one or the the crow crows. Was it the crows on the London Raven? Tower? Yeah, Ravens. Ravens. Yeah. My God, Ravens. I'm sorry, not crows. I'm not functioning today, but that would be quite interesting to like how you, the legends you grew up with, or the original tales. But yeah, 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 that's that's a good idea. There's definitely plenty in Scotland as well. Yes. Oh yes, definitely. Can I ask, what do you think? Is there anything out of your timeline um, incidents or fact that you think it's the juicy bit that I haven't really quizzed you upon that you'd like to mention? Um, I don't know whether or not I should maybe touch on the Stone of Scone. Why is that? that? This is a touchy subject. Please enlighten me. I have no idea what it is. I I feel like Cam may well punch me in the face. But do you wait? Do you want to take this? Should you take this? You know, as the true Scotsman and everything. What do you want the English woman to talk about? I mean, I don't mind, but I'm happy to take it. But okay, (laughs) right. Thank you. Thank you. So basically, the Stone of Skewn is. A block of red sandstone, sandstone, excuse me, um, that's been used for centuries in the coronation of monarchs in uh, Scotland, Britain, and Ingerland. Um, it was taken by that absolute numpty called Edward the First. Um, yeah, he, he was he was he, he was Longshanks, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. The interesting fact about Longshanks, like he used to say, "Oh, I, I'm Longshanks," because those were the size of his trousers. He used to think he was well endowed. Um, but where I'm from, we call them short shanks in the count they had microbeans. Um, I just thought I would throw that in there. Um, so Edward um, decided that he would take the the, the, it was, the stone. It was Sorry, like a, it was it was like a symbol of like Scotland basically yeah. at that time yes, because it was yes. where all of the Scottish kings were crowned. Mm-hmm. And, Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So they they would they would sit on the stone and then people would come and swear fealty to them and and so it's it's more it's not so much the stone itself as what mm. it represents. I think yeah. the yeah. kind of the main. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, he pillaged it and took it back to to England and it was there until 1950 when four students way <laughs> uh, decided that they would take it and it was returned. In 1951 to England. To England, yes, they, they took it and returned back to England in 1951, and it was returned to Scotland in 1996. As a kind of precursor. To yeah, the, devolution. The yeah. yeah, devolution. But one thing that I find quite interesting about the, the Storm of Scrooge is they don't actually really kind of mention this. It's something that I've actually kind of found out. Um, by doing a bit of research myself, is they also had something called the hemorrhoids of Scoon as well. So apparently, if you if you sat in the stone long enough and you were getting coronated, <laughs> you'd have the piles coming down as well. But very well documented, I believe, with uh, Robert the Bruce. You know, you often say, you know, my hemorrhoids are causing me havoc, is what he used to say. They've done me a real mischief. They've done, they've done me a real mischief, so they have. Aye. But they would have done it. That's the thing, because yeah. every every family or every clan would have sent a representative, and they would have brought. Is it not like a a piece of their soil? Yeah. So the, he would have had to sit on this really uncomfortable stone, and because he's Scottish, yeah. he couldn't admit that his arse was hurting, so he wouldn't have a pillow or anything to sit on. So he'd, you know, he'd be sat there with his, um, you know, with his, with it, on his rock, and yeah. they'd be throwing dirt. And the, 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 if anyone ever goes to Schoon Palace, which I would have, you know, oh, would yeah. it's beautiful. But it's there's, there's a, there's a mound on, by the palace, which is where the stone originally sat. 
which they believe is just basically mm. the different soils from across Scotland because they would they would present this soil when they were swearing fealty. Um, See, I, I mean, so, oh, sorry, I was just gonna, I would I, I would be lying if I said that I've not got a picture pretending that I am being crowned on the. You're on joking. The, yes, <laughs> Kelly. Yes. <laughs> Me too. Although, you know, that has different connotations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kelly's and I am. <laughs> Is this what they call the Storm of Destiny? Yes. Yes. Right, yes. okay, that makes sense. There was always something I often found quite funny as well, though, was like, um, there's this kind of, like, conspiracy that the stone wasn't actually returned to Scotland in 1996. It was another stone that England returned. And, in fact, the actual Stone of Scoon, Stone of Destiny, excuse me, is actually still in England. I just quickly just, let me just... I just Googled, as you were speaking, fa- <laughs> facts about Stone of Scone. Scone or Scone? Scone. What? So, Scone. Yeah. Okay, Scone. And was that's it delivered by, by Prince Andrew? Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. When it came yeah. up. So, he represented the Queen. <laughs> yeah, I stopped. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. We're getting a like, <laughs> You know? Just saying. Okay. That's 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 enough for me. That is all good. Sorry, sorry, I'll show Yes, thank you. Um thank you very much for that. Any any other juicy bits that you'd like to mention maybe? I don't know, but right now, Maria, you really are looking like you should be in a Parisian cafe. Oh please, thank you. With your kind of wavy kind of out there hair and your your oh. cigarette finger my cigarette oh god <laughs> thank you but no um can i can i ask though like because you touched upon it maybe cameron did with south bank uh-huh. you said at some point that you mentioned south but i can't remember in what context exactly but are you like don't i mean i, wish, I don't want to jump in a different segment but south mm. bank currently has like tate modern Mm-hmm. Shakespeare's Globe mm-hmm. and the National Theatre within five minutes of each other, mm-hmm. and it's just like the pinnacle of culture in London. Like, and and across from that, you just have the Tower of London and then Saint Paul's Cathedral, and it's just like mind blowing. Can you like, yeah, that that was just my my kind of like yeah input on that. Maria, do you feel like you've learned a little bit more historically? Definitely, definitely connected many dots actually. Um, yes, definitely. Thank you so much for that. I hope the audience will appreciate that you've done a very good job in educating us about London. Oh, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so now I'd like to talk a little bit about our favourite, either our favourite memories or our favourite London landmarks. So does anybody want to begin? I'm yes, asking please. again. Sure. <laughs> sure. Oh, wait, no, do you want to go first, Maria? Well, not only because I could just give a fangirl's account of like my favourite bit of London. Can I go? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I suppose. Well, so. I'll tell you what then. Let's do. Of course, let's do no, a, no, no. Let's do a twofer. So I want your okay. your favourite place in London and your favourite memory of London. Okay. Um. Okay. I'll be very um cheesy and say again that that bit in London combines like theatre and culture and and it's the beauty of the river and you see people coming in and out and just the building of Tate Modern. I think it's brilliant. It's, it's beautiful. It's modern. It's contemporary. An art museum. I don't, I'm not so fond of the content because I'm not into like, you know, modern art as much, but the house, like the building used to be a former power station and it was designed by the same guy, um, Sir Giles Scott. Sir Giles Gilbert Scott, who also designed, you know, the, the, the famous red phone box, which I find to be quite exciting. And it's it's got hun- thousands of guests um, 
an annual basis. It's one of the most visited uh, museums in the world, and it's got amazing views from its upper floors and terrace. And that's just my favourite thing. And my favourite memory of London, just every time you walk on a bridge and you can just see everything, it's just like walking into history and down the history lane. And I just find it, find it to be exciting. There's not one particular thing. It's just every time I'm in London, I feel elated. And that's just me. Fangirling. Very I can't imagine you fangirling. I can't imagine you being like walking down, I don't know, like Piccadilly Circus being like, oh my God, it was so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, why not? Because um, remember how there's this Bridget Jones moment where she walks and it's all the TV screens and then she walks in the bridge and she's like very confident. That's how I feel every time I walk down this like kind of like street and I'm like, yes, do you know, it's like, you know. I can imagine you being a Londoner. Thank you. As if, if only. But yeah, I, I like Edinburgh too, the lake. I love Edinburgh. But, London, but you can't have a Bridget Mo- Jones moment in Edinburgh. No, I can't, can I? No. Well, you mean you could, though, technically. I mean, I mean, you could be walking down the bridges at like three o'clock in the morning with your heels in your hand and a, a bottle of butt flash being like, there is a Like, I'd be a kind of Edinburgh moment. I can tell you about my knickers. They're definitely beige sometimes and definitely dry. Like, there are, like, spunk types, so I can definitely relate to that, and that happens here in Edinburgh, so there you go. We've all had the big knickers moment there. Yes. Yes. Even Cam, even though he doesn't know what we're talking about. No, I've got my fucking clue. So just nod, it's fine. Yeah, right, okay. I've had it real high. Spanks. Let me see what you did there. What? It's okay. It's your turn. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm actually still quite confused, but anyway. So... My favourite time in London, I know this kind of sounds a bit daft and stuff like that, but I was kind of saying this to Becky earlier on, um, I always kind of imagine London being this quite cold place, you know, people are kind of like, like that. And uh, I, rem- I remember um, we were in this tube station and uh, we had, me and my wife and my son, Joey, were going up the, the escalators and stuff like that. And uh, I'm and stuff like that, and we're like, oh, God, how are we going to get this up there? And, like, literally, like, and I mean this, like, Probably about every second person like stopped and said, would you like a hand? Would you like a hand? Would you like a hand? And I just kind of thought that was like really nice. You know what I mean? Like, I just kind of thought mm. I was really kind of considerate. And then what I found quite funny, though, was when we got to the very top, the Transport for London staff were sitting there like, do a face fuckers, just kind of like, oh. I kind of thought, well, you could have fucking got off your ass and fucking helped us. You know what I mean, you lazy prick. But anyway, um, the fact that people were offering to help, I thought that was actually really nice and stuff like that. So that was it. Um, my favourite place in London um, has... It's definitely got to be the House of Parliament. Um, I think, like, in terms of kind of architecture and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I found mm-hmm. it, it is, it's absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, really is. And, you know, I just, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I've been to many pubs, to be honest. Oh, yeah. And then I, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so really kind of pubs and the House of Parliament was really kind of like mostly what I kind of saw. But you know what? Um, yeah, House of Parliament, I've been my, my favourite Kind of very good very good one actually yeah. yeah kelly oh i've so my first my, the certain memory that like i really enjoyed like i've only been on them once but i really really enjoyed it which is like I, I, I feel like there's just so much to see and do down there and i only ever actually done a wee tiny bit of it and we done a lot when we were down there but i feel like you could go down and do different things that like we on the historical side but you could go down and do theater you could go down and do like pubs like it, it's pretty much it's so big as well like especially coming from 
Scotland and Edinburgh just being it's like such a small the comparison is just crazy it just feels like you're just so so much so much to see got loads of good memories but one memory that kind of just sticks in my mind is coming from there is when we were there we went to Whitechapel um, and we did a sort of tour of Jack the Ripper while we were there um, or the sites I should say and basically on this tour um, they took us around Whitechapel, which in and of itself is still quite a poor district, like district. That's still quite. There's parts where they essentially say to us, like, watch your pockets because you might get pickpocketed and stuff like that. Um, and I always remember there's like there's such a huge contrast between like the city of London and Whitechapel, like the boundary, which mm-hmm. is the boundary, and it's like the difference, like between like on the city of London side, it's just beautiful big modern buildings and then in Whitechapel it's all this run down like the class difference is really really clear at that boundary but one thing I did learn and, and the only reason I'm saying this is because it has like led to so many laughs and it's coming out of it and I'm sure Becky will know because I've said it to Becky oh, yeah. but um we one of the part, points of the that we went to while we were walking around Whitechapel was the Ten Bells pub which is the sort of pub that was at the centre of like where they believe that the victims were at their probably drank and all of this kind of thing. And we went there um, and the tour guide told us that the landlord at the time of the Ripper killings was Jamie Oliver's great, great granddad. No. And so it led to my theory that Jamie Oliver is descended from Jack the Ripper. I just made that decision. I've solved who Jack the Ripper is. It's Jamie Oliver's granddad. I can't believe that. Okay. So, so, so his, his dad killed five women. He, Jamie Oliver, got fucking turkey twizzlers back. I mean, honestly, he just comes... Yeah. Just, it's he true, <laughs> Yeah, not evil, just cuntishness, really, isn't it? You think? Cuntishness, my like God. Like <laughs> we're only going to have to put the explicit label on this podcast. Yes, please do. Yeah. No, but it's the direct link, you know what I mean? Just, just goes to show. Yeah, so that, that honestly, I was just, I was like, this is like a huge, I've just, in my mind, Jamie Oliver is descended from Jack the Ripper. It's the only thing that makes sense about his decision. That is golden. Um, so, yeah, but um, in terms of, like, landmarks, I've kind of got, like, two, um, if I can, like, cheat and do two. So one of them would be Westminster Abbey, which I went into, and I actually got really emotional when I was going round it. I think it was because, like, Mary Queen of Scots is there, so I went into her tomb. Poets' Corner as well is there, which is for all, like, the sort of, like, as like an English lit student it was like oh my god all of these like people are all in one place and it was just looking at the tomb at the stones and the markers and just recognizing so many names it was like my wee nerd self was just so happy and I, I had said to my friends who I was with I was like I'm actually welling up like I'm getting really emotional like just walking around here because there's so many so many historical like figures and stories in that one building so um that was definitely one and the other one that i have to just quickly get in because it's like joint is the royal albert hall because we went to the royal albert hall and done a tour and it was what it was probably the most uh, actually is the most fun and sort of theater that i've seen and i would like love to like see something and we'd only done a tour when it was empty but i'd love to actually see a like an actual live show in it so yeah westminster abbey and the royal albert hall for me my absolute goal for life is to go to last night the proms at the royal albert hall Oh, yeah, yeah, oh. that would be amazing. Cam sat here thinking, God, you're so middle class. Oh, I was going to say that, actually, yeah. <laughs> so, I was at the prom there and I was thinking, oh, Rue Britannia was brilliant. <laughs> so, in terms of memories, oh, God, I've got so many. Um, so, I think I'd mentioned before that my dad is a Londoner, so I have quite a few memories, but I suppose the one that really sticks out is the earliest memory I actually have, and it was 1993? 1993. And my dad had just come back from Bosnia 
and we were still in Germany at this point. We came back across to see all of the family and to dad's mum and mostly mum and dad could see that he was okay. Um, and we all went to the, well, I call it the museum's quarter, but you know, there's mm-hmm. like the V&A and you've got the British Museum. Close nice by bridge. Got, like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I just I have this distinct memory of me running around the Natural History Museum as a as a three year old pest. Oh. Um, and, and I was very cute. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. And um, yeah, with my dad. And it was very exciting. Um, so that's probably my favorite memory. So it's, it's not necessary. It's a very personal one, but it's mine. Um, and then in terms of favorite place, definitely going to be Borough Market. So you can get yes. food from all over the world. Nice. In the one place, including which is now just shut down. The German deli is shut down. Oh, God. Oh, it's really upset. Yeah. But there's this cheese shop, and honest to God, you just you just stand in front of it, and it's like it's like a proper kind of open market type thing, which you don't really get like the indoor markets up in Scotland. I've noticed this. They're very very rare. Uh, I think it's down to population, to be honest. Oh, yeah, no, I think yeah. so. But it's like a proper kind of indoor market style, and it's uh-huh. just cheese, and it's cheese as far as the eye could see. But it's it's the poncy cheese. It's not like the you know the kind of shitty uh, eat, uh, cheddar stuff, like simply strong or whatever. It's, yeah. it's like I think proper stuff. On that note, I think really Edinburgh really deserves to get like a modern tourist approach to an episode like where we can actually talk about the nice things that currently happen in the city like the grass market like flea market and stuff because Edinburgh does have a bit of like a taster of all those things we can, these things that we can find in London yeah yeah and London all, is all the things that are sadly now cancelled because of Covid including the customs oh. market oh, no. oh yes and the Hogmanay Street party <laughs> where else are we can get a bratty and a really poncy hot chocolate oh shit Nice. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can in Bronchville. Thank you very much, Pfeiffer's. Uh, I'm not a Pfeiffer, actually. I'm from Edinburgh. You're a Pfeiffer? No, it's I'm just, definitely not. That's <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Kelly. <laughs> don't, you, don't you look at me, Becky. Don't even bother. Pfeiffer, your son is a Pfeiffer. My, my son was born in Edinburgh. Yeah, but he's grown up in Fife. He's a Pfeiffer. He's not a Pfeiffer, he's still from Edinburgh. He is a Pfeiffer. So... Thank you, everyone, for that. That's really, really interesting. So I would like to end on a high note. So it's time for the quiz. So fingers on buzzers, please. What year did the fire of London rip through the city? Fucking hell. 1666. Point Kelly. Which famous Celtic leader tore through London in around AD 61? Boom, Boudicca. Did you say Boom, Boudicca? <laughs> yeah, that was the first thing. Boom, Boudicca. Was that her name, was it? Yes. Oh, well, it wasn't Bodicea, by the way, so oh. can't clarify that. Uh, <laughs> that is really bad. Boy from Fife thinks he's got all oh. <laughs> Right. Which famous river does London sit on? Thames. 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 Correct. With Maria. And, uh, Maria. <laughs> Point Maria. Point Maria. Thank you. What were the Gordon riots? Oh, Anti- you guys have explained it. Anti-Catholic um, riots in London. Initiated by Gordon. Uh, point Kelly. Half point uh, area by Gordon. And finally, Indian restaurant. 1810. I've said it before you even finished the question. I was Maria. 1810. And it closed the Maria's year later. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Oh, boom. I think, I think we can safely say that Queen Maria has won that one. Okay. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for this very 
interesting podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Let us know any of your feedback. If you like the new layout, if you want us to go back to the old layout of not really having a layout, then feel free. Um, but Maria, as the know-it-nun, do you feel now like you're more of a know-it-all? Definitely know-it-all. And, and so is our audience. Oh, good. Excellent. Well, in that case, then, it just leaves me to say goodbye to everyone. So say goodbye, Maria. Goodbye, all. Say goodbye, Kelly. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Cam. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye.